Elizabeth Chesters is back on Octal FM this episode. This time, we talk about designing for accessibility and inclusivity, and how designing with inclusion in mind benefits everyone and makes for a better product. Hello and welcome to another episode of Oxal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And we're joined, we're rejoined by a special guest. We're joined again by Elle Chesters. Um, say hello, Elle. Hey. Yeah, definitely there. <laughs> not, not disappeared. It's like, wait, hasn't where did you go? Hasn't been disconnected. Um, if you cast your mind back to episode 31, Elle joined us to talk about human-computer interaction. And we talked a lot about things like... A-L-E-X-A, and robots and interacting with robots and just all kinds of stuff, really. Just talking a lot about... There was a lot of interesting bits and sort of takeaways when I was listening back to that episode around things like making computers act more like computers and and act more like tools that we can use rather than trying to sort of over-humanize them. Um, And that's something that actually I took away and forevermore I've referred to and I've actually like talked about it with other people when we've talked when I've talked to people about design and and how people interact with computers um so it was a really it's a really standout episode in our in in my mind um so that and towards the end of that episode we talked a little bit about accessibility and inclusive design and sort of designing for everyone and also designing for everyone in in whatever situation that they're in or wherever they are and it's sort of we started to touch on it right at the very end of the episodes, uh, and so we said that it would be great to get you back, L, to talk more about that. Um, and so that is that is what we're we're doing today. So for those that didn't listen to episode thirty one, L, do you want to just sort of introduce yourself a little bit and explain why we've brought you on to talk about um, user experience and inclusive design? And it's not you're not just sort of it's like. It's it's something that you do a lot. So yeah, you're not just a random off of the street. <laughs> Am I not? <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, I'm a UX designer at the moment at Mendeley, and I am actually leading the accessibility once again on my team. So I actually started doing accessibility through an internship with ThoughtWorks. They're a global consultancy. And uh, I was working on the ThoughtWorks.com website. And for two and a half months, I was a developer just researching into what inclusive design was, um, Mm -hmm. understanding. Firstly, I did start with impairment. So understanding how blind people use, which is usually what you start out with when you first hear about accessibility. Mm -hmm. And then I was working with people in India and it was was interesting for a first project Mm -hmm. as... The language barriers was huge as well, mm. um, even an accent barrier. So I'm from Manchester and understanding people with an Indian accent and vice versa was not easy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. Um, I imagine it's not exactly easy for a computer either, either is it? We're going to talk about that later with Alexa. Do you not worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually got to go over to India when I was hired as a graduate with uh, ThoughtWorks and I actually got to spend some time with Amazing. Tech Vision, who are an amazing school for the blind, uh, who really build up p- 
people with visual impairments by giving them a job and education. Hmm. And actually, when you start to understand, so I was told that in India, sometimes they consider a disability a sin from a past life, and that's, it's something that you deserve. So sometimes it's not hmm. at the forefront of their mind, and it's quite difficult to champion that sometimes. Hmm. And then you start to realize, huh, there's a cultural barrier hmm. to hmm. impairments. Hmm. And that's when you feel like you really know less than what you did when you first went out on this journey. That's how I felt anyway. <laughs> but experiences like, yeah. like that are really important because had you have not gone out there and sort of experienced that kind of limitation to begin with, you would never have known to sort of take that in consideration when developing something for that market, that audience. No, absolutely not. It was definitely being chucked into the deep end, like learning about impairments, which is broad enough as it is, but then impairments in a different country with a different accent <laughs> and suddenly you're just like wow this is yeah because at first I did look into accessibility and then it was like oh it needs to be inclusive and that's where I was like oh this is a whole other section hmm. yeah definitely well that was one of the things that we touched on wasn't it at the end of the, the the previous episode we did with yourself which was the very much the difference between making something accessible from an impairment standpoint but, or just being inclusive as a whole, trying to make sure that something can be used by everybody or by at least the people who it's designed for as a minimum. There is that sort of traditional understanding of what people think of when they think about designing a product or a service from an accessible point of view, but actually there's a lot more to it. And bringing in that that topic of inclusion and 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 designing and building something to be inclusive there's a lot more to that than what people traditionally think of yes there's definitely like accessibility and screen readers and stuff like that but then there's there's lots of other situations as well aren't there oh absolutely even when you're just talking about impairments like there's i mean there, you have blind people but then you have, you also have like varying degrees of sight so you can mm. be blind and visually impaired you can still see but they can still use a screen reader you can have like 5, 10, 20% of their vision. You can have like peripheral vision, not the, I don't know what the other word is, but the, the centered vision. Mm. I mean, that's just visual impairments as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, not, aspect. it's not just sort of like one or nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a, like you say that there's varying degrees of it. Um, and, and then there's other things as well, right? Like what I find really interesting is as well as, as well as the sort of, like disability side impairments sort of that we think of as being permanent, then you also have the sort of temporary kind of impairments, right? Like, and I think that's where it really starts to get interesting as well. Um, I know that you've, you've given an example, I think, I don't even maybe it was even in the previous episode, the sort of example about like using an app with, with one hand. And it's sort of like that can be situational as well as, as well as permanent, right? I mean, absolutely. You've got just the example of I have one hand, maybe I'm, um, a para-athletic and I have one hand but then you see a parent pick up a child obviously with with one arm and then they only have one arm free whether that's to continue you know tidying up which you often see or you know pushing a pram with another child in there they've only got one hand right then you have like the other situation where you have one person who's broken an arm so at the moment I have a friend who's really fractured his finger through cricket so temporary sports injury yeah and, and one of the aspects of this that i find super interesting is that regardless of whether this is a permanent or a temporary impairment there's also the case of varying degrees of it like you suggest like you said 
So <clears throat> with the, the the site one, just using that as the example this time round, you're saying how you know some some of your users may just be outright blind and won't be able to see anything whatsoever. So you need to design your system to work with them. But then that's not job done because, like you say, if someone's got partial sight, then it doesn't really work for them to use a system which is purely a, you know around someone that is blind. You'd need to maybe make your system so that it can be used for people who can use to some extent their sites as well, rather than only part of it. And I imagine there's, and I imagine you can give us some examples of this. There are so many instances where like a designing firm or, or a company will go, oh, cool, we've taken care of people with visual impairment because we've added this function that allows blind people to use it. But I mean, no, you haven't actually. You, you've, you've maybe done one aspect of that but not all of it. And I bet you this carries over to all sorts of things like hearing, for example, or the ability to control the device, etc. Yeah, you have to focus on being more flexible to be used by everyone. You can't have a design that fits absolutely every purpose. No. And this is why assistive technology exists, because they need to support people and they need to be flexible for each individual case. So, I mean, if you try and design for absolutely everyone under the sun, even for, let's say, able-bodied people, everyone has an opinion about that. Everyone has their own needs, their own stories as to why they use technology in that way. So you need to be able to be flexible. So, for example, this is why not using absolute pixels and absolute sizing is a need in your design. It's why you need things like uh, relative width so that people can still make the font size bigger if they need to. You need to be able to accept that users are going to have their own settings in their browser so dyslexics they have their own fonts because they find it easy to read so things like font awesome which is great you have all these free icons as a font but if you are dyslexic and you override that font they're not using your font awesome and what they see instead are boxes that's not Mm. flexible this is where svg and things like that are getting a lot better so you need to be more flexible for the person rather than starting to worry about, oh, let's build for this case and let's build for this case because then that just turns into, oh, we have an accessibility version which is usually uglier, outdated (laughs) because no one wants to be building, oh, I just need to make this really tiny change in like five different places because we've got one for blind people and one for deaf people. That's not how it works. Mm. You, You need to make your first one just flexible enough for other people to use it and they will have their ways they have their tools they have braille displays and screen readers Mm. just make sure it works with a screen reader make sure you just got an alt-tag on there that makes (laughs) sense and one of the other things that you mentioned in the notes that you sent us before we started recording was the idea that you need to incorporate this from the beginning you know have it be part of the overall design of the product rather than be something tacked on later on when you're already kind of like committed to certain aspects of the of the design uh, that goes without saying with a lot of non-functional requirements. So even if you've got your, you wouldn't be a bank and then build security at the last minute. It doesn't make sense. So when you have a design mm. that you want to be used by people, which is why I'm assuming you're designing it in the first place, <laughs> that you need to be like, oh, these are the user requirements. And a user requirement might be that it's keyboard accessible. That might be because you're working with traders who are a lot more efficient just using keyboard. I've worked in insurance before as a developer and we had to make sure that everything was keyboard accessible because it's just too slow for them when they're on the phone using a mouse. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's actually something that I, I find really interesting about all this as well is that when you when you start to take these things into consideration, from the point of view of, of inclusion and accessibility and everything else, it also just makes you 
build a better product and makes you design a better product just overall because you will solve problems for people that you didn't even necessarily realize that was exactly you know how they were going to use it as you just said you know people people will be using your 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 product or your website or your service or whatever in all kinds of different situations and different everyone has different needs and different requirements and expectations you know you can't make it perfect for everyone but the more you think about all of these things and this sort of broader range of of inclusion in your in your design of your product the more likely you are to to solve problems for a wider variety of people even if it wasn't exactly the the situation you were thinking of i think the challenge must be as a person trying to sort of explain this to someone or explain this to a business where you where you're sort of there's some commitments to to resource and to effort and to time to to make this happen what are the what are the problems that you encounter there where people are sort of resistant to to doing it and and spending time on it and and the reasoning that you would that you would give to someone or to a company to be like this you need to be thinking about this because x and you don't really want to be saying well you just have to because it's the law you know from a sort of inclusion point of view and instead there's 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 other benefits right yeah, absolutely. To be fair, the you don't bring up the legal reason until the very last minute or the, mm, it should mm. be the last argument because as soon exactly. as you mention law, uh, people just get defensive and they just you need that emotional investment in what you're doing, especially when it comes to UX because you have to care about making a difference for, pe- the, for the people who are using your product, right? Otherwise... If you just see them as money making machines, it doesn't matter if you're doing accessibility or just user experience. You just you do have to care. Mm. So I'm lucky with where I am because we have a lot of investment, even from management uh, on UX. So I don't ha- I have to I don't have to fight this battle as much. So one of the arguments that I would say, even from a user experience point of view, I wouldn't be there if I had to fight that battle as much. But I do argue that. If you're asking me as a user experience person to go out there and ask people how they use their product, why would I not do the same and ask people with impairments? I can't speak mm. on behalf of those and neither can anybody else. I think it definitely helps if you have a company who are inclusive with their hiring. Mm. I would definitely push for people to make sure that they're hiring people with impairments because then you see it firsthand. I've had people on my team who have very limited mobility. It wasn't a concern for the client, but it was a concern for the team where if this person can't actually build a product or use the product to test and even build it, then it's not even going to be built. Mm. That's a really good point, actually. That's a really great point. I really like that um, that sort of tie-in to to having an inclusive team that's working on the product or whatever it is. Um, and this, you're exactly right. It's that classic thing of like you know if you, if if your if your product is or whatever it is is only is only designed by a certain type of type of person, then you get something that is more limited. Yes, you can talk to people, like you said, or like as a UX researcher, you know, you can go out and you can speak to people and you can and you can speak to people with various impairments and stuff like that. But also if you actually have people on the team that are that have impairments of some kinds, then like that will just naturally become part of your your product and your design. And so that is sort of such an important part of it as well. That's a really interesting way of tying the two together. 
And one of the things that you mentioned as well was like you, you're lucky, especially from a UK point of view, to have such a diverse team in the first place, which I imagine really helps in developing a piece of technology or a product or whatever to be able to cater towards other cultures as well, because you can kind of you can include that within the build as well and ask people's opinions on things, get people to sort of have their two cents to it, which I imagine isn't always the case in certain environments. I imagine sometimes it can be a very sort of like one way of thinking because you have such a kind of a bland, not bland, but sort of a, a stagnant pool of uh, of culture within an area. But it, it's it's really important to make sure that you you do make that effort to try and what's the word. I'll just include, be inclusive. Yeah, it's really important that you you make your product inclusive for everybody, regardless of where they're from and what what they have access to to use it. Hmm. I guess it'd be it would be interesting to like when we say when we talk about sort of cultural um, impairments and stuff like that. What kinds of things are we talking about? L like are we like what are the kinds of things that you've experienced from a from sort of cultural differences that mean that a product needs to be designed differently or needs to be needs to have things taken into account. So I just, for everyone who's ever traveled, Mm. everything changes. Like normal is just not normal anymore. Mm. And even localization, when you're designing for different cultures or even just local areas, Mm. everything can change, which again Mm. is a scary thing when you're approaching a design. Language, the first instance, there are so many differences in language, the direction of text, the characters, the grammar, the, the currency symbols, everything changes. Uh, have you ever been to like a different country and you've tried to ask for the toilet? Like that is an impairment if you don't speak the language. Mm. I'm unable to go to the toilet, mm. which is which is a very simple but a, an effective way of explaining like everything does change. Mm. And it's it's frustrating when you see like you see a certain country not designed for their own culture. So for example, I know when you're applying for an Indian passport, they make the surname a required field but actually in the south it's very common for people to not have surnames and they have to actually make that up and it's usually their dad's name or their granddad's name or even the name of their village uh, just so they have some information to put in there and that's india designing for indian cultures Hmm. and it doesn't work Hmm. it's really interesting the sort of like that's it sort of leads on to um sort of bias as well and stuff like that isn't it sort of like just things that are kind of ingrained into you um that you that you think are sort of normal in inverted commas or you know things that are just kind of standard like a surname like making a surname a required field in a in a form or something because you're like well you know because everyone has a surname right and and that's sort of you know not thinking about that and also sometimes it's like well why do you why does it even necessarily matter you know, to ha- to have that a required field when it really doesn't need to be for the purposes of what you're designing anyway, that comes back to that sort of just being broad and wide range. And I really like the um, the like language barrier side of things as well because that's such an interesting like from a design point of view, like th- like thinking about that. And you can it's so easy to then experience that if you go to another country, like you say. Like uh, I certainly remember like we've talked a lot about on the show about traveling to japan and stuff like that and you know from the point of view of like the way that things are designed when you're in a situation where not only can you not speak the language but you also can't read most of the stuff as well like you do feel like impaired and unable to do stuff and part of that does part of that is just like you don't speak the language but but that's like a you know the you can design for that right like you can design for people that are in that situation 
um, when you're thinking about, you know, signage or, or whatever it is. They even say that your IQ level drops when you're speaking a different language because really? you you have you don't have the ability to express or, or have the vocab of really how you're feeling or mm. have those deep and meaningful conversations or in, intellectual conversations because you just don't have the language. Mm, that's really interesting. I feel more and more places are trying to kind of combat that now by having maybe like one of the things you said was making sure something was usable from all aspects. Like so, for example, like the, the idea of the, the surname not being able to be used. Or, ha- or, or not having a surname rather and forcing to use it. I feel like more and more places are starting to realise like you need to make it so that it works depend regardless of where you're coming from and why you're using the well not why you're using the device but like how you're using the device. Because for example one of the things that you, you linked us to as well was the idea that yeah it works in some, in some extent like on a desktop environment but on a mobile environment it doesn't work in terms of maybe the sizing of something or the way a form's going to load or something like that and again that's going to vary depending on where you are what you have access to be it temporary or a permanent impairment you know and I feel things are getting slightly better uh, like the example that I would use because we were just talking about sorry foreign countries was my experiences in Japan uh, have been hugely different over the times that I've been there like the very first time I went like 10 years ago it was really awkward but now I find it much simpler to access a lot of things both technology wise but also just kind of out and about like I know that's not really what we're just discussing but it's still sort of inclusivity like it's making it easier to to use regardless of what your impairment is in this case for me speaking the language. There's localization overall as well, whether you're localizing for a culture or you're localizing for different situations. So like when I'm on the tube, if I'm supposed to be using your app on the tube, like a game or something, then it needs to be offline. I need to be able to use it offline because I've mm. only got 10 seconds of <laughs> internet to load something every time I hit a station. And the same applies when you're um, outside, for example. So yeah, you have this need for high contrast and most people assume that's for people with color blindness so that they can use it but actually if you take your phone and you have a low contrast design and it's bright sunshine outside you can't see anything you're trying to up your brightness on your screen you're just trying to see it it's it's a nightmare i'm sure we've all been there and then just kind of one thing as well to put, maybe put something in context is have you had any situations where you've been either responsible for or partly responsible for, say, a design of something and you've really struggled to try and work accessibility into it? A few times because it hasn't. With the, so the, the two main products where I've worked on accessibility it has been brought in at a later date and mm. it's now that we're struggling because now people have like this preconceived idea of what the mm. design should be and then it's like, oh, we should just make it accessible and that doesn't really work and actually one of the biggest struggles that we're facing where i work now is um we're building like a a pdf reader and pdfs as a format is absolutely terrible Mm. the layouts are so varied and the locations of where these pdfs are coming from and the tools that are being used to build the pdfs is so inconsistent Mm. that it's not even it's not even our fault but pdf is so such a a widely accepted format but it's so inaccessible Mm. like how do you deal with that Mm. that's really interesting like the challenges of where you're dealing with technology or or something that is fundamentally very inaccessible and if your product is dependent on it like you say like where you've got you know pdfs that are involved then that is a real challenge um and also there's there's not there's there's not really an easy answer right because there's not another like you say it's such a widely 
used format of a file, but is something that there's no sort of alternative. You've not really got a choice there. There's no alternative. That's a really, really tough problem to solve. They're even legally accepted documents. Like at the Mm. moment, my estate agents, every time I sign, I resign my contract or renew anything to do with my flat, it's all done with PDFs, all online. Mm. Um, Luckily, um, we have a few tools. Well, not us personally, but there are a few tools which are rebuilding PDFs to make them more Mm. accessible. So you can change the layout and make sure that all the layouts are consistent with the PDFs. Not entirely sure how they work, but this is why I don't work for those companies because it would be <laughs> that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, to deconstruct something and reconstruct it to make it accessible—that's that's so much effort and legwork. But I imagine in the end, it doesn't—it does make a huge difference mm. to the overall experience. So, oh, it'd be worth it as well. Mm, mm. PDFs are everywhere. I'm just thinking of academia because that's where mm. I work. Mm. We've talked about inclusive design from an accessibility point of view but then we've also talked about it in terms of like situational like both permanent impairments and situational impairments and i think that even if you're not someone who designs stuff and and builds things it just makes you more aware of how things are designed and how the you know not just the websites that you use but also the world around you and how it is designed and how people you know the things that people do i actually quite like i think it was a i think it was a maybe a tom scott video youtube video about um the the markings on the floor on the streets at crossings and you know you have the sort of um the raised um and sort of different colored paving slabs Mm. at the cross at crossings and therefore people who are in some way visually impaired whether whether Mm. partially or complete and what's interesting is that they're meant to be you know they're sort of meant to be a different color um so that they're they're bright and obvious and and they need to be you know they need to be consistent and they need to be placed in the right place and then you see um sometimes they're to try and make something look more visually appealing then maybe the the different color will be taken away and actually they'll be made to be just the same color as as all the other slabs around them or something like that or they'll be broken up there'll be something in them that sort of breaks them up so that it's not so it's not so clear and not so obvious and you don't it's not something you necessarily think about but then if when you keep all of these things in mind and when you know about how how things are designed and and this sort of concept of inclusive design you then start to notice that and you you realize these things that are you know the way that the world has been designed around you is sort of and the things that things that are taken into account when building stuff and also the times when it's forgotten um and you you really start to notice it so i imagine it's very easy to forget those sort of things if you don't experience it yourself on a regular basis or um like l's job is the you know important to do that kind of work you know like i i don't think about those kind of things absolutely like if i walk down the street i just it's just sort of a part of the the layout you know right. but that's that's been a conscious decision for a really good reason right and there's all kinds of like standards and, and requirements around it that are often mm. ignored um and i guess l that's 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 why you have your job right like that's the exactly that's the point like that's why it's so important because it is you know i think that we're still Although things are getting better, I think there is still a lot of education to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, people need to understand and people need to be thinking about this a lot, not just for what people traditionally think of, but all of the situational stuff that we've talked about, um, which I think is really interesting and sort of eye opening to 
to understand and to know about, if that makes sense, and to think about it. Once you start thinking about those different situations, you start to realize how it happens all the time and it happens to everyone. Hmm. One of the most eye-opening situations was when I was in India and I was showing um, one of the visually impaired guys uh, on my team uh, our currency in the UK. And he Hmm. was so happy with the fact that he could distinguish between the different coins so i mean if you look at all of our coins our five p's 50 p's 20 p's have each got different sizes they've got um, different textures different like numbers of sides and mm. he was it was really easy for me to go say this is a 5p this is a 20p because he'd never felt them before and he could he couldn't see them very well and when you look at the indian currency they have like five different versions of the same coin <laughs> and you're just like it makes sense that they, we would design coins like this. and But it's easy for people who are visually impaired, but also tourists. Mm. I, I did struggle sometimes in Japan because sometimes, I think there was one Japanese coin where they didn't have the number on there. I yes. think it was maybe oh, which five one yen. It? Yeah, five, there is one. I think. I had that problem as well. <laughs> it's yeah 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 it's really it's really in everything isn't it like even currency but i don't yeah. want this to be an overwhelming situation so it's easy to say like okay so we're we're, build, we're being accessible um we want to build for someone with one hand and then use it snowballs okay so what if we're designing for parents they need to have one hand and then you need to go shopping and they've got one hand and you we need high contrast because colorblindness and being outside and mm. it it can feel like it snowballs and sometimes it feels like the more you know about accessibility and inclusive design overall, it can get overwhelming. So even as a UX person, you have to sit there and say, you have to look at a design numerous times and iterate over it Mm. because sometimes they even clash. So sometimes you do want the high contrast designs because you are using outside and you have colorblind people, but that can also cause migraine so too much contrast is Mm. very difficult and sometimes uncomfortable to read especially if you're doing things like blog posts Mm. so there is always a balancing act good design is not one way or another Mm. i don't want people to go away and feel like it's it's overwhelming Mm. and it's a battle that's already lost so definitely take a step back and then just just go over your design numerous times. Okay, how would a keyboard user use this? Da, 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 da. Map that out. Okay, how would someone else use this uh, if they have one hand, for example, or mm. they have to use the mouse? You can't sit there and think of all of these things at once. So just no. definitely take your time with this. Mm. Mm, that's really good advice. Like like you say, like iterate over it. You know, work work your way through different situations, and and like you say. You, I mean, we we said this right at the start, right? Like you can't you can't design perfectly for everyone in every situation. So you have to just do you know do something that works reasonably well in in as in as many situations as you can, and sort of work your way through them. Um, and I think the thing is is that it's always important to think that it's not a hundred percent and zero percent, right? Like you can work your way towards being more inclusive and more accessible it doesn't have to be perfectly inclusive and perfectly accessible there's going to be situations where like you say like you can't you can't be perfect for everyone and everything it's about just working towards it and having the right priorities and thinking about these things because you are going to build and design a better product if you do have these in mind when you're when you're thinking about your design and your build
Absolutely. And tech has been around so long that users do have their own little ways of mm. doing it. While it's not perfect, they do have their own assistive technology. You know the struggles. And I mean, every person is an individual. It's different. Mm. They are different. You can't think of the general population as just this one blob, which sometimes you <laughs> feel like you are designing for. But when you go out and you actually see people use your product, it really hits home. Like there are so many ways to use technology. And that's, that is amazing. That's what keeps the day interesting, especially when you're interviewing like three, four, six people a day. Mm. So at least aim to be as flexible as possible yes. rather than just make sure it's this way and that's it. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a nice little closing note th- there, actually. I think it is. I think that was... Good summary. That was that was a very good summary. It's been, it's been really interesting. It's, it's really interesting to to sort of get your mind thinking about this. Um, so thank you very much, Elle, for coming on and, and talking to us again. Where can people go to read more about this or to to find you and, and ask you more questions if they have more questions? Uh, I'm on Twitter, eChesters. Uh, I have a blog as well, eChesters.co.uk. Um, yeah, feel free to ping me any questions. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Medium, eChesters, pretty consistent. <laughs> it's basically eChesters everywhere. Just just search eChesters. We'll obviously link to everything yeah, in, the, in the show notes as well for the episode. Um, so yeah, um, thank you very much, Al. And maybe we'll get you on again to talk about some other aspects of of uh, design and and UX in the future. But yes, uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us with the podcast, um, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at OctalFM. You can find us on Facebook if you just search Octal FM or go facebook.com forward slash Octal FM. We're on Instagram, octal.fm. Is there anything else? Uh, no, I think you got it all. A website. Is that all the things? <laughs> oh, email. Email. You can email us, show at octal.fm. Otherwise, I think that's about it. Thank you again, L, uh, for joining us again to talk about, to share your stories. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, it's been good fun. And Absolutely. Yeah. In the meantime, I've been Gelada. I've been Seferin. And catch us again for another episode of Octal FM very soon. You see a parent pick up a child and they've only got one hand to deal with something. You know, you often mm. see them cooking or, well, probably not near an oven. Uh, don't put that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Child not engagement. <laughs> not in a, Clearly. This is already marked as explicit, not even small ones. Um, like lazy design is almost a, a kind of a gateway a to impairment. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. Um, you know, but making sure that your, your product has the capability of being accessed by everybody it, it, just a lead on where if you want to discuss onto it that's oh i thought you were still talking like non-talking so that's why i said it was a sin like halfway through <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs>